Alright, let's try this again. Once again. Once again. Once again. Uh, just so you guys know, this has been a very long attempt at getting this episode started because we're having some issues again. Yeah. But we're going to send it and hope it works. We apologize ahead of time for audio and video quality. We are on a very low budget. And by low budget, I mean we have we have no budget. There is no budget. We have no money. So we're doing what we, think, what we got. <laughs> we're going to do this anyways. Welcome to the Cult to Defend podcast slash video series. Depends on if you're watching or listening. Well, I guess you're technically listening if you're watching too. I mean, yeah, you're always listening, I guess, if there's some... Unless you're around. deaf. Then you would not be listening. That, that would be unfortunate. True. I'm not sure how to help you guys there, because I don't have... Sign language. No, I need to learn that at some point. Anyways. <laughs> so, let's get started. <laughs> All right. All right. Welcome. Ooh. This is the official episode one. Uh, we're going to be taking a little bit of the elements from the original episode one. And um, ingrained into this one, but we're going to be switching some things up. Originally, the first episode, we had a whole content about um, ways to study the Bible, uh, what we believe is the correct way to study it, um, and some helpful tools in that journey of studying. Uh, that video slash audio absolutely was garbage. Worse than this one. So, here we are. We're going to basically give you a quick rundown of that one. We figured this might be a better way to handle it because then we can do an application um, with an actual topic to go over that we're going to be spending just a little bit of time on. We'll try not to make this super long. It will probably be over an hour, knowing the two of us. Yeah. But we're going to try this. Anyways, Noah, why don't you open us with a word of prayer? All right. Father God, thank you for uh, the opportunity to be able to do this podcast. I thank you for... The tools that we have, uh, they may not be the most high quality, but we still have these tools that we're able to uh, have more discussions about you to reach more people uh, in hopes that they can hear what we have to say and that they listen and maybe they can even learn something so that they can grow closer with you on their own time. So I pray that Josh and I have the words to speak and that you're able to just speak through us, Father God, um, so that we can reach out to all those people. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. All right. So, let's do the first thing. Actually, no. To introduce yourselves a little bit, I'm Josh. This is Noah. We are called to defend. Uh, you might have seen us on our Instagram. If you haven't seen that, check that out. We do a little more discussion of what we're doing here, why we want to do it, and who we are. Um... Yeah, but what we want to do is we want to take First Peter three uh, fifteen specifically in that whole section fourteen through sixteen about the idea of uh, being challenged, but also giving a defense for the faith and just talking about the faith in general, so that we can um, have great discussion based on scripture, grow closer to God, help each other grow in the process, and just have a better sense of what truth has to say. Excuse me. So let's start with what we originally wanted to do first, which was. Uh, what we believe are the musts for studying the Bible, and what are some of the recommended tools for studying the Bible? If you want to kick it off first. Yeah, sure. One of the biggest things about studying the Bible is not cherry-picking verses. You need to gain context of the situation and what's going on, because if you cherry-pick verses, you're going to inevitably misunderstand what's being said. And that can happen a lot, especially in the Old Testament where we see a lot of these laws and all these complicated stories and languages that they use. And by understanding the context of 
the situation and the setting that's going on helps you to def- to better understand what's happening so that you can realize what the verse is trying to say to you and or even what the lesson is that you're trying to gain from that. And Josh has a book right here that we're actually currently reading through. And one of the main points of that book is context. It quite literally opens with, um, do not read a single Bible verse, which at first, if you don't think you're like, Oh, so just don't read the Bible. No, read the Bible. The first way to understand the Bible is to read the Bible. Of course, many people just like to throw that out the window, but the first way to understand scripture is by reading scripture. So, when you don't read it in context, you miss so much of the information. Now, a lot of progressive Christians out there will tell you that they've read the context and they understand the context, but they're actually reading into the context with their 21st century mindset and twisting truth um, to satisfy their lusts and to um, make themselves feel a little more um justified in the things that they're giving into but what we're gonna be doing is taking the actual written context um getting into the mindset of the minds of the jews and the slash israelites and early christians what they would have been thinking what they'd be seeing and understanding a little bit more of that um so yeah, the first thing is do not read a single Bible verse. You, you can only ever cherry pick if you know the context and you're able to give that context in defense. So if you're like quoting John 3.16, of course, everyone knows that. But if you're not able to give that one in context, even though you're quoting it as true, make sure you don't just throw that out there. Dive into that passage and understand that because then you'll really understand what it means um, to a higher de- degree. Um, the other one to think about, so we have... So we have um, Basically, put things into context. Uh, the other one is remember the difference between written to and written for. So, like a lot of the Old Testament is written to the Israelites, like Genesis, um, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Um, those five books were written by Moses to the Israelites after they've been freed from Egypt. Genesis one, uh, Genesis was written so they could understand who their God was, since they were taught about the Egyptian gods, and having an understanding of their history, how powerful their God is, how loving their God is, how we've fallen, what sin is, the whole concept, like basically everything theological, um, and Christ even um, is mentioned in that book, and then the next four are the the laws, and that's all by Moses, and then you have Joshua. The book of Joshua, um, which picks up after Moses um, passes on. And Joshua is the one that's bringing the Israelites into the promised land after the the exodus from uh, ancient Egypt. And it's not just that. If you look at the epistles, it's very clear that Paul or Peter or John are very much writing to very specific people, very specific churches. Now, that does not mean, however... That just because there are things written in there um, that are to these sets of people, there's not anything for us to take away from it. For instance, all of the moral arguments are cross-cultural and across time. Um, Ceremonial laws are not, but moral laws are. So like the Ten Commandments, um, things about war, things about sexuality, things about... um, Uh, just how we treat people in general, how we love on them, all those types of things are very much still in application today. 
um, across the board. And we read the epistles, there's things to learn about how to function as a church, how not to function as a Christian, how to function as a Christian. These things all are tied together uh, for our knowledge so that we can understand who God is, understand the history of our people, um, just in general as human beings, and it, the list continues on from there. But if a promise is written there, it does not say mean it is to us. Like the disciples being promised, they're given the gift of like healing when they go on their mission. It does not mean that that's the same promise to you. Um, now, of course, there's a whole de- debate about spiritual gifts, like the gift of healing, gift of tongues, all those things. We're not going to get into that right now. There's a whole different side conversation. But um, still, promises like that were Jesus specifically talking to his disciples. Um, same thing with, like, um, I know the plans I have for you. Yes, it's true that God knows his plans for us because he's all-knowing. He knows all across time. But when he said that, he was saying that to Jeremiah um, as he's getting ready to declare, um, as God's preparing him to uh, prophesy about the oncoming judgment um, that's going to come on to Israel. And it's very important to know the difference between two and four. um, And that comes with reading the context. So those two things are very um, tightly knit together. Uh, you you need to read the context, understand what these passages are about, and who they're written to, and what is their purpose. Yeah, and if you're confused about what's to you and what's for you, type of thing, in the book that we just mentioned, the best way to do that is by reading the Bible, in the sense, and actually figuring out the context of what's going on. And once you understand the context, that's an easy way to understand what's for us or what is to us and to just define that line. Also, anytime we give a resource um, on an episode like this, we were going to post a link in our description. Um, and then anything that else that we think would be helpful that we don't mention, but we know be a really good, helpful resource. We'll post it as well. Like for instance, if we know of a, a Paul washer, a Vody Bauckham, a Robert Allen, um, a, like Sermon or John MacArthur, or and there's other pastors as well. Or if there's another commentary that would be helpful, or another book that would be helpful, or if there's like a Mike Winger, a Red Pen Logic video, or a Fight for Truth video, um, or Apologia Studios video, we will post those in the link as well. So as a comment saying, check out here for more resources and more information, we want to... Um, we're not expecting a lot of people to be listening on us. I mean, it would be nice to have uh, viewers just so we have people we can kind of discussion with, but uh, we're not expecting like we're like your first apologists or, or speakers or whatever uh, you want to talk about, or and we don't expect it. Um, we're the only people you listen to, uh, but if we are the first ones for you, or just in general, if you have never heard some of these resources, we would love to share them with you so you can understand where we're getting our resources from because we believe in um, that you shouldn't just have one teacher. Uh, you should always, as long as your local pastor is solid in Scripture and legitimately proven to be solid in Scripture, you should definitely trust that trust him. This is at him. Um, but then, but you should still have other resources. Uh, we believe that, you know, it's good to have more than one resource because, uh, because of the fact that we are humans. But also the fact that people might have another way to explain something doesn't make as much sense to you. Um, like, for instance, uh, my, our pastor nearby here at our college, uh, Trent Thompson, love the man. I never got to meet him yet because it's just a big church and we have a lot of schedule, but he's theologically sound. Um, 
but if he says something that, that didn't make sense to me, but like Vody Bakum did, or if Dan Kimball did, or Mike Winger, then of course that that's really helpful to gather all that knowledge, all those resources, all the perspectives to help us understand. So we want to put those in the comments um, for you guys for your further study. And it's not required. Obviously, we can't require you to do anything, but it's definitely recommended in general. Okay, so we have written to and written for, and we have cherry picking slash putting things in the cult back in the context. Um, those were the two really big ones. Was there a third? Uh, That's embarrassing. I mean, one thing to consider also uh, about the Bible when approaching it is that the Bible is not a book. The Bible is a library. Um, it has 66 books in it. And that's what contains this library. So the books kind of, they do feed off of each other in a way. Um, like if you go into the new, the new Testament, the old Testament is referenced a lot. So those books existed for the people existing in the new Testament, but that just goes to show that this Bible is a library of books and it shouldn't just be treated as just like one book cover to cover type of thing. It's multiple books into one big library. Yeah. So those are the big things we need that we believe are things to consider. Uh, putting things into context. Um, getting the mindset. Uh, trying to get out of your 21st century mindset because it's not all about us. Um, a lot of it is. like A lot of the Old Testament is historical. And understanding that. Same with the Book of Acts. Um, and then there's just a fact of knowing 2 and 4. Those are really the big ones um, for us is knowing the difference between those things. Um, and really, it, it sounds simple. It sounds simple, but it's really tricky for sometimes. Sometimes we put ourselves in uh, those stories. Like, for instance, like my name is Joshua. I might someday read the book of Joshua and imagine myself as him, but that's not what happened, right? And I'm not the one I was there. It, there was a very specific Joshua, and I had to get myself out of that, understand who Joshua was not who I want him to be. Same thing with Jesus. We have a lot of people who make Jesus into what they want him to be instead of who he actually is. All right, so what we believe are also helpful things to do. Um, make it just a little shorter discussion and quick list. We already mentioned resources like books. We believe books are a really good help, um, especially if they're theologically sound. It's good sometimes to read a book that's not so you can understand another perspective and you can therefore see the flaws and how to challenge it. Uh, but I don't recommend reading a lot of those because that's not going to be the most helpful thing if you're mostly reading a lot of that. Um, just just know when it is bad theology. We've mentioned sermons and different podcasts we'll be referencing for you. So we kind of got some of these out of the way. Um, the other big resource that the two of us taken advantage of, uh, Katie's been taken advantage of, and our friend Josiah has been taken advantage of, as well as my other friends, is the fact that there are a ton of free resources to look back into the Hebrew and Greek and the Aramaic. And the reason that is really helpful, it's not a must. You don't need that to understand the scripture because it's pretty self-explanatory. But it is definitely a helpful resource when we have access to that because we can really get into the nitty-gritty of what did they literally mean in truth. And we can show that your translations, for the most part, I say for the most part, are sketchy ones like the message. But the ones that are so like the ESV, the NASB, the New King James, uh, in terms of word-for-word translations, and then the Revised King James, I think. Those are solid. And then your um, 
paraphrase translations, which are more like phrase by phrase, like uh, the LNT and the NIV, yeah, uh, are pretty secure in their translations. And you can confirm that, and you can get a more, more direct understanding of that. I do recommend staying away from the message. Oh, and if you are going to argue with me that the Book of Mormon is, in fact, part of the scriptures, no. No, and uh, you'll see in a little bit in the next video with just me talking about that, and then uh, maybe we'll do another f- a further discussion on that with the two of us, and we can get a little more further into detail about why certain sects that claim to be, well, certain religions that claim to be Christian um, really aren't uh, in doctrine at all, and how they're different Jesus, there's a different Jesus and a different God entirely, uh, so that we can have a better understanding when people say, well, aren't these people basically the same thing as you? No, they're not. It's very clear what Christians are supposed to be. So why don't we now get into some application with that? We kind of took our last episode and shrunk it by a lot. It took an hour to get through that discussion, but now we're going to get into more of a practice with that. And that's what the topic that Noah and I've talked about, which is often debated amongst people here at our school, and this is a Christian school, that's claimed some people have um, argued over the divinity of Jesus. Is Jesus God? Is he the Messiah? And I think the thing we need to look at is Old Testament and New Testament, right? We, we should look at a little bit at the, um, the Trinity, we should look at who Christ is. So let's start with, I believe, actually, I think we should start with the Gospels. Start with John 1. And then what we can do is we can take that and work back to Genesis 1 and see the correlation between the two. Yeah. Then what we can do is hit Isaiah 43. And anything else you have set aside you want to go through. And what we'll do is we'll break it down, look at the con- we'll look at the context, we'll make sure we break things down, read in full sentences, not read by verse by verse, like a verse. We're going to read paragraphs and we'll look at some Hebrew and Greek stuff. Um, and some understanding of that. So let me dive into that. John 1, 1, very famous. Oh, and then we'll also look at, uh, I think it was John 10, which is where God says, uh, where Jesus says that the Father and I are one. Yeah, and we also can look at John 8, where he says, yes. I am. There is that too. That is a very important one, which means yeah. we'll go back to Exodus. Yep, 3.14, where God says, I am who I am. But, when yeah, two people work together, it's a fun time, especially when it's about the Bible. Oh, yeah. So, you have it up. Do you want to start reading John while I turn my pages? Yeah. So, beginning in verse 1 of John 1. Uh, the, Clarify what translation you're in, yep. too. I am in the ESV right now. Uh, I am currently using my printed ESV. Another thing I recommend is have numerous translations. Uh, have several. My recommended ones, and I think Noah's on the same page as me, I think Katie's on the same page as me, and my other friends as well, um, recommended ones are the ESV, the New King, so the English Standard Version, ESV, the New American Standard Bible, the NASB, the New King James Version, the NKJV. If you're feeling fancy, you can read the King James Version, uh, so the KJV, uh, the New Living Translation, NLT, and then some people debate about this. Um, my experience... It hasn't been a lot, but I think it's okay. The New International Version, the NIV. My experience has been okay. I've not read the whole NIV, so I might have missed something. 
I don't know, because phrase by phrase, must have to take some interpretive moves to make it a little more um, smooth for the English language. So, anyone who's like hardcore against NAV, no, I have not spent a lot of time. I spent a lot of time in word for word translation. So, the ESV, NASB, NKJV are like my big three ones that I read a lot. Yeah. And I definitely recommend getting a Bible that has multiple translations. Now, these aren't like the four translations like I would just handpick, but this Bible right here has four different translations. Um, it's just nice having just like multiple different translations just right there in front of you, and you can see them side by side to see the comparisons, which is definitely nice. If you can't afford that and you have the YouVersion Bible app, what you can do is you can add numerous ones, and if you want to, like, let's say, go to I'm on First Peter three one right now. Uh, if you want to click compare, you can add a list of your different translations, and they'll put them all there for you, so you can compare uh, the way they translate. Yeah. So, anyways, hopefully you've got yourself turned to that passage. Yeah. Why don't you start us off? And we're gonna start with John one one, and it says, "In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God." He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So that's just one through five right there. Uh, you just want to start with that, or we want to continue? Let's start right there. Right there. So it says right there, in the beginning was the word. All right. So what's interesting here is the, wor- the word for word in the Greek is logos, which literally means word. Um, so it's interesting. What's interesting what John does here is in this first chapter, he takes two specific words. I think it's two, if I remember correctly, it's two. Where he takes them and they're inanimate objects and he adds, he does some personification with them. So we have, right now we have word. Now if you're using the ESV, you'll notice that it's capitalized. Um, and that is because it's referring to the word as a being. It says there, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Which is interesting, too, because um, the whole point of the cosmological column argument is um, that in order for everything to begin to be made, um, what, had to, what had to have made everything, like the universe, had to be immaterial, outside of time, personal, powerful enough to create everything. Um, and there's another one. I can't remember off the top of my head. But um, the idea is like it's immaterial. And God is immaterial, which is why it's so beautiful and amazing that the sun comes down in the flesh in, as, as Christ incarnate. Um, which is a complete side note. It's just a beautiful thing there. Um, but the word is personified. Word is personified and is declared as God. Um, he was in the beginning with God. So what we're seeing here a little bit is this recognition of the Trinity. Now, here's the thing. Um, some people like to believe um, that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are three different beings. That is called polytheism. Christianity is a monotheistic belief. Now, um, like Mormons would believe that they are three different beings. That's one of the distinctions between Christianity and Mormonism is they are they lean more polytheistic. We lean very much monotheistic. And um, but we see here is this unity because really the Trinity is three persons because that's not a material thing. 
three persons, one being. So the Father and the Son, that's the word, are one, and they're together in the beginning of all creation. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. I don't know if you want to talk about that, but like... I mean, one, actually just on a little... Jumping ahead just a little bit that I just wanted to point out is just later on in this chapter, just verse 14, where it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Right there, it also just referred to Jesus as the word. So now we have both God and Jesus is referred to as the word and the word as them type of thing. So that just put them on kind of like that equal ground being that one being instead of two separate beings because it, the word can't be two things at once. It's still part of that one being. Now that was a little sidetracked, but yeah. Let's keep reading. Um, starting verse 4. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light and that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. All right. So very much clear direction of the fact that John the Baptist is not, is not this Messiah. But John the Baptist came to prophesy about this Messiah. And, what, and that's really fascinating because when Jesus comes to him, he recognizes immediately that that is his Lord. Immediately. Um, let's keep going. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only, as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. All right, let's stop right there, because you you mentioned this passage a little, yeah. this part of this passage, but at this point we have not mentioned the name Jesus. The only name we've mentioned so far is John the Baptist in terms of human, right? So we've gotten the Word, we've gotten God, and we've gotten the light. All right, so we got a little bit of personification with Word and light again, referring to the Son. All right, because it's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Spirit comes. The Spirit is working constantly because it's God. The Holy Spirit, the Father, and Son are constantly working because they're one being. Um, but the Spirit really takes full effect in terms of like in this little trade-off, I guess, I guess you could say, um, after the resurrection of Jesus and the ascension. Actually, no, after the ascension of Jesus uh, is when the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells in the apostles and then does the work through um through them to reach the thousands of people they've reached and to this day um but we're still talking about the son very much in this instance right um we haven't mentioned the name jesus once but we know that the son has come down all right so we know that the son has become the flesh we know that it is from the father um, and that they are one being, that they were together when all things were created. So anyone who says that Satan and Jesus were brothers, um, this passage makes it very clear that the Son was, since the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are one, that they, God created the devil, and he created all, angel, he created all beings. So anyone who says that they are brothers 
that's that's dis, dis, discounted right here. That's refuted. Yeah. I feel like that's like one thing that people don't really think about is because Jesus is not mentioned by name in the Old Testament, but he is still very much there. All over the place. The sun is, is all over everywhere. the place. The angel of the Lord. People, the, the people very much believe that that could be Christ incarnate. And if that is true, and I believe it is, from the personal study that I've had so far, um, he's literally all over the place. Yeah. You know, Jesus is literally everywhere. And that's because, like, the only reason that he's able to be everywhere in the New Testament is because he is God. Yeah. And, like, one thing, I know Jesus is very much perceived as, like, a pacifist, someone who's, like, like a hippie. Like, I've heard Jesus been called a hippie before. You know, the whole long hair, the beard, you know, he's a chill guy. He's, like, would never harm a fly or anything like that. But when you think about it, and referring to what, you know, go back to the Old Testament and what God has done. Like, we've seen God's wrath. Not Jesus. even just there. Read, read Revelation. Oh, yeah. Read everything Jesus talks about the oncoming judgment day. Exactly. Like, God has wrath. There is righteous anger that is displayed. And Jesus was in 100% agreement with it because he is God. So Jesus also experienced that. And, I mean, we can even go into, what, John 2, where we see Jesus in the temple, you know, flipping tables, creating a whip to drive out the animals, and he drove the people away, scattered their money. Like, Jesus is capable of that as well. And Yeah. Well, let's keep going. Let's, yeah. let's get through this passage because... Let's get through this passage. No, it's a good tangent. Let's get yeah. through this passage because John is making it very clear. The beautiful thing about the book of John is that the four Gospels... The, um, defend certain key aspects of the gospel. John specifically, I think would be really cool is someday like either together or individually we did like a walkthrough of each four, each of the four gospels. That'd be really cool looking at all those perspectives and how they handle the teachings of Christ. Um, but starting at John, uh, it very much talks about the divinity of Christ. So John is the perfect book when talking about Jesus and looking at the divinity of who he is. Now there's other passages as well. We're going to go through those, but we're going to spend time. We're going to wrap up this section and then we're going to go to another section. And then we're going to hit some old Testament, some new, some other new Testament passages regarding this stuff. Let's keep, let's finish this up. So I'm going to start back at verse 14, put us back into the paragraph. If you're in the ESV and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out. This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me for from his full, full from his fullness. We have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one's ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Side tangent. Christ is not his last name. It is not Mr. Christ. Christ is, um, the Greek is Christos. Which translates uh, loose. Which one of the ways to translate is to the Messiah. Okay, so this is saying Jesus, the Messiah. And if you were a uh, a Jew, and if you are around this time period, you are very aware that there was this Christ figure coming. All right, the Old Testament prophesies this 
across the board, all over the place, through Genesis, through the laws, through the Psalms, through the, the prophets like Isaiah. I mean, Isaiah is one of the most famous ones, but like David in the Psalms prophesied and talked about the oncoming Christ. It is Jesus the Messiah. That's basically what that means. Christ, Christos, the Messiah. And that's where we get a lot of controversy um, with the Jews in the time of the New Testament whenever Jesus came because there was a like a picture painted for them like this strong man coming in on a what like a white stallion is that what it was? I, I like to well they're well they're almost thinking like um second coming Jesus yeah exactly if you read Revelation you get this picture of Jesus in the second coming all right so you have the four horsemen and the first one some people argue that that one who's like looks like Christ could be the Antichrist some people make the argument back and forth about the first horseman, but we know very clearly later in the book of Revelation that there is Christ coming down on the horse. He's in white and he has a sword and he's come to des- to, to destroy evil, right? They were picturing that. The way I like to pick, that I tell, like when I was teaching youth group back home or helping with that, is like I said, they were expecting Superman, and it's not that Jesus didn't have the ability to be Superman. He was he's fully able to destroy Superman. He doesn't need Kryptonite to be Superman, but that's not how he came. And people then argue, like, again, like the whole, um, what they say, talk about, like, with pacifism. Um, as you can tell, we're not fully on the side of pacifism. Um, we want to look into that more and get some discussions about that. We have a friend who is a non-resistance uh, person. We respect him for it and we love him for it. And um, we think it's really cool. We want to talk about that. And maybe we can get him on the show someday. We have that discussion. A little, not necessarily a debate, but just have, like, a, a look deep into the scriptures and like get to perspective and get some perspectives on it and try to understand and it comes to a better agreement or understanding of each other's views. But um Jesus, like they say, Jesus, why don't you just stop them? Why don't you destroy them? Like, no, because the reason he came down was to die on the cross. For him to stop and fight back would be to prevent his death. Right? So, anyways, this is Jesus the Messiah, right? He is fully man, fully God. Per the book of John, per John's writings, the apostle, this Christ is Jesus. The Christ is Jesus. And he did not come the way they wanted him to come. No, he came very humbly as a baby in a manger, like with barn animals all around him. That's one of the most humblest ways you can really come. And that's, Jesus was setting an example by doing that, really. Uh, like one of the biggest things that we can see about Jesus is servant leadership in that servanthood. Yeah. Like he washed his disciples' feet, like feet, feet. Um, but that's just who he was. He was setting an example for us because whenever, like, because we're gonna be fathers one day, and we cannot dictate our families. That's not how you lead. You lead by serving. God, aka Jesus, he came down and led by servant leadership and he did it in a humble way and he came as a child in a humble way and that was just to set an example for us being like we don't have to be an authoritative dictator type thing you know taking control being this king have all the power type of thing we can get through life in a christ-like way by being humble by being a servant leader and that sort of thing here's the other thing too all right let's back up to uh verse 16 for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace for the law was given through moses grace and truth came through jesus christ all right so we've already read the context now now we're starting to narrow things down a little bit more 
again, like we narrowed in on Christ, we narrowed in on Word, we narrowed a little bit on the light. We're narrowing in now on um, this section uh, with law comes from Moses and grace and truth comes from Jesus, came through Jesus. Why is this important? Okay, so remember, uh, mentioned before, Genesis through uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, those five books, the Pentateuch, were written by Moses. Okay? Genesis was written for the understanding of who God was and their history and how they got here. Okay? Because where Genesis ends 400 years later is beginning of Exodus. Okay? So with the ending of Joseph's story brings us to the beginning of Moses' story. The story of Moses. And then Moses, through this, after the freedom of the from the Egyptians, um, and then to the um, laws, God makes it very clear um, where Israel should stand on things and how they should act. There's some ceremonial laws and some moral laws that were laid out through that. Um, and the law was given... One, to reveal God more to them, but also to bring uh, revelation to the, the fact that we cannot fulfill the law. That we cannot live up to the law. No Jew, no Gentile, no, no one can live up to the law. We are constantly breaking the law. We are constantly falling short of it. Um, I mean, we see it all through scripture. Human beings constantly failing i mean like i was reading through genesis yesterday last night with with katie uh because she's my girlfriend and she's a member of this team and the amount of times that she's like this is all before even we get to the law itself written the amount of times she sees like like consistent consistent failures uh or failures are like almost like passed down like like a father lies and then the son lies and then the next son ends up being like a full-on deceiver or we see like okay we see sexual sin in one area and guess what it carries down through the other sons and the other children and you just and she's like bruh why it's like it's like i she's like i know why but like why why do we have so much stupidity being made and she didn't mean to say like okay they were stupid like that's like a hypocritical thing but like why like why do we human beings constantly make the same mistakes? Why do we constantly fail and sin? And why do we more often not do it in the same way over and over and over again? Um, and that's what the law does. It brings that revealing. It makes it so that you have no excuse for sin. You are fully aware of it. I mean, it's mentioned in scripture that is written on our hearts too. But with the fact that we have the law written out, you have no excuse. You are fully aware of it. So then that's why Jesus imagines that he came to fulfill the law because he fulfilled it perfectly. So the law, which was like this whole thing of like kind of making us realize how broken and we are, it's kind of like holding us down. And then Christ comes to free us from that um, condemnation uh, for those who repent and believe in the gospel. Yeah. And one thing about that is like so uh josh just mentioned how jesus came to fulfill the law one thing also with that verse he did not come to abolish it either yeah meaning like we're still held to that law we're still being held accountable by that the moral law specifically yes all the moral things ceremonial that is israel that's to israel the moral is for all of us yes 
So he did not come to abolish that. So I've heard people like justify sin by just using Jesus. Like he died on the cross for our sins, so it's okay to sin. Like we're we're meant to do that. We're humans. We're meant to sin. We do sin, but we're not called to sin. So Jesus did not come just to basically give us that safety blanket um, of, you know, being allowed to sin. Jesus came so that we can be closer to God, so that we can have that link. Because we are separated from God because of sin. Sin separates us. So this law helps us to find that, and it draws that line. And Jesus came to fulfill that law. He did not come to abolish it. So he did not come just to allow us to continue to sin. We are not meant to live in sin. Um, He came to fulfill that law and live through that law. All right. So why don't we, I'm going to have you turn to your next thing that you have written down. I want to turn to Genesis one real quick. Uh, while we go over that, because we talk about the fact that he was there in the beginning when all things were made, right? So let's go through Genesis 1 while Noah gets himself set up for the next thing. Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God said, let the light, saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And God, God called the light day, and the darkness called night. And there was evening, and it was morning the first day. Okay? So, very, very well known. And he, this, this pattern repeats throughout each day um, that is recorded. And we can debate and talk about if these were literal days, if these were um, if they're metaphorical days. Regardless, we can all agree that if it doesn't matter because it's not determined. There's not a determinate time here. Um, it doesn't matter because your faith is not held to this belief. However, we can all agree, I hope, that if God wanted to make the world in six days, he could. He wanted, if he wanted to make it an odd day or less, he could. He has the full ability to. Now, whether he did or didn't, completely different side discussion, and we don't need to really argue over that. But if we wanted to get into that and to talk about it, we can. Um, but let's see here. Look at verse 26. All right, we're going to jump ahead because throughout this whole point in time, God has been creating the earth um, piece by piece in the universe uh, with every little element that is needed. We eventually arrive to verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. It's really easy to miss this, but it says then God said, let us, us make man in our image after our likeness right now some people make an argument this means that this is a polyistic polytheistic thing that the three persons are three beings no this is the trinity the three persons one being creating everything together creating us in their likeness now why is that important because there um are different ways that we reveal um the image of God. And one of I believe, I firmly believe, is in our roles in general. You have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Right? And of course, there, you make a bunch of analogies that are imperfect because compared to God, but there's just the fact that one, we have different roles in how we act as people that reflect God. We have like roles um, in our families with like husbands and wives and their children 
they're almost kind of reflective of God. This this unity. Um, yes, imperfect analogy because we are three beings versus like one being, three persons. But there's these different elements that reflect God's image, including the Trinity. I mean, do we have three persons in in one being for us? No, absolutely not. We are one person, one being. But like like and like I said, I be very careful to take this analogy. But like like husband and wife, and like let's say a son. Imperfect analogy, but there are different roles. Just like the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit have different roles they they uh, portray. Um, the Father, like, lays down the law. The Son fulfills the law and frees us, and the Holy Spirit indwells us and sanctifies us. And there's other ways to describe that too, in a more concise, better way. I've heard better ways um, explained. But they had different roles, even though there's still one being. And then we had that uh, somewhat, somewhat similarly in just humanity in general, um, as long as we follow God's way. Now, let's, let's move over to next thing. So anyways, we see Christ. We see the Trinity are at work in the beginning. This confirms in Genesis 1, let us, so the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit agreed on this. Right. So, yeah. Okay. So, we touched on before about how, uh, like, the name of God being I am who I am. So... Briefly. Briefly, yeah. So, in Exodus 3, um, we see the story of the burning bush, which is where Moses is on well, on top of Mount Sinai, and he is talking with God. This is also where we see him get the Ten Commandments and that sort of thing. And I'm going to uh, go to verse 13 here, and this is still the ESV. Uh, it says, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Um, right there, God just states his name. And that's where we see it. And it can actually be translated um, from uh, this word Yahweh, which is Y-H-W-H. And it comes from what? Hebrew consonant? No. Yeah, no. Hebrew uh, consonants. Yod, hey, wa, hey. <clears throat> so that's where we see the first, like, God state his name. And I know, like, everybody, I've heard a lot of people ask, what is God's name? It can't just be God. He must have a name, just like Jesus has a name. That is his name right there. And God literally tells us that. He tells that to Moses, and we can see that through Exodus. Now, uh, if we go to John 8, where Jesus is talking with the the Pharisees. um, Yeah, let me pull it up. Jesus also says... Let's get more con- let's get some context for this, all right? Okay. Um, so Jesus gives an answer to this, but let's get to context. Well, let's just put this whole statement into context, starting at oh, um, there's not really a good place to start besides the beginning of the chapter, really, yeah. because there's a lot of uh, he answered and he spoke. Um, let's start at verse thirty-one. It's a really big section. We're gonna work our way up to chapter nine. 
reason for this is you can hear and see the full context of this conversation. Even then, it's not the full, full context because there's other parts of this conversation before him. We're going to start, the, but we believe this is probably one of the better places to start in this conversation. Um, that does not raise too many problems. So starting at verse 31 in chapter 8. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, We are offspring of Abraham, and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be freed indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, this is being the Jews, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth. I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You were doing the works your father did. They said to him, We were not born of sexual morality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. All right, so that's very important there. All right, so before it says, he was saying, you are of your father, but he keeps saying, you're not, if you were children of Abraham, you'd be doing this. If you're a children of God, you'd be doing this. He's making it very clear that you are children of the devil. All right, so anyone tells you that you are children of God, if you are not a repented, believing, saved Christian, you are not a child of God. You are a child of the devil. Ephesians 2 declares that we are dead, spiritually, okay? So Jesus even states this right here. So he's saying that you are not God. If you were truly God's child, if you were truly a child of Abraham, you would be doing this. You would be loving me, listening to me, obeying, and recognizing who I am. Yeah. But you are rejecting everything about me and wanting to kill me. He says, why don't you understand this? Because you cannot bear to hear the fact that you are wrong. All right? So Jesus said to them, we're going to pick it back here. If, you, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own court, but he sent me. Why do you understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. That is the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do you not hear them is that you are not of God. Okay? Now we're getting to the section that no one I'm originally wanting to get to, but we need that context. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died, and the prophets died? Who do you make uh, yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him, 
I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that rejoiced that he would see uh, my day. He saw it and was glad. So he's referring to the fact that Abraham saw the coming of Jesus. He knew of the coming of Jesus and he was celebrated over it. As did David, as did the other prophets. Okay? So Jesus is saying that Old Testament does prophesy about him and they are fully aware of Christ. Um, pick up at verse 57. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up the stones to throw at him, but Jesus himself and went out of the temple. That was a lot. <laughs> but we needed that context, right? Because this is back and forth discussion over who is the father of the Jews at this time, who were the people's father, who was their true father, and that was the devil. And they were not acting as children of Abraham, they're not acting as children of God. We are spiritually enslaved to sin, and therefore we were children of the devil. And of course, not biological children of the devil. That's a whole that'd be a whole mess. Bigger mess. Um, but we see here it says before Abraham was, I am. And Abraham you don't know your Bible, exists all the way back in Genesis. Thousands and thousands of years before this. Alright, this is like Genesis, I think like 10 area is where that starts. Um, Genesis, sorry, no, not 10. We're looking at Genesis 12 is really where we start getting discussion about Abraham. All right, so that's way back. Before Abraham was, I am. <coughs> As I just said, Noah, he goes to cough. That's not what I meant by that, but go ahead. <laughs> but no, um, so right there, we see, again, Jesus claiming, I am. And that's exactly what God was saying whenever he said, I am who I am. So like, he just stated his name, which then further connects him to God right there. and. I feel like he said that because since um, like the Jews, the Pharisees here, they, they know the Bible. They know that God said, I am who I am. And Jesus saying that definitely, as we read, they picked up stones to throw at him because they were accusing him of blaspheming um, by claiming he is God. And that was very much a big deal uh, back then because you... You didn't just claim to be God because that was a sin right there. That was blaspheming. So they felt Jesus was blaspheming, and that's why they were picking up the stones. And whenever he said, I am, that was basically Jesus saying, I am God. And they knew that. And that's why they had those stones ready, and Jesus left the temple right there. Yeah, it wasn't just like they, um, before they were wanting to kill him, yes. But they were also really just kind of wanting to, like, they thought he was just, he was kind of a lunatic. They thought he was a heretic, but also thought he was just a lunatic. And then he says, I am, which is something that they, as you mentioned, they very much knew what that meant. There was no way that they didn't know what that meant. Um, in the second that he claimed that he didn't just claim to be God, like a God, um, like a lot of people, other people did, they claimed to be a God. He claimed to be their one true God. He claimed to be Yahweh. He claimed to be the Elohim, and Elohim is a title. He claimed to be the one and only God. 
All right. And again, this is not the Messiah that they wanted. They wanted a Messiah that came down, that was a conqueror and ready to destroy the empire they were held under, be free as a nation. That's not the God. That's not the the Savior that they got. That's not the Christ that they got. And they didn't like that. And not only did they get something they didn't like, they got that very Christ. They got the Christ who claims to be God. So anyone who says out there that Jesus never claimed to be God, right here, this alone, along with other passages too, but this alone right here is very, very explicitly clear. Jesus claims to be God. Because he used the title, he used the name that God gave to Abraham. I mean, sorry, to, to Moses. And he can't exist before Abraham. Right? That's like, I mean, back then, that's just absolutely crazy like to them. And that's why they were just ready to go off on him. And it's just, they just really, what's the word? I'm trying to think of the right word. But today way, it wouldn't upset as many people. No. Unfortunately. Well, it was some Christians, except people say like, oh yeah, Christians, you demand respect. It's like, no, we don't. And people say, oh yeah, you, you, uh, you, would, get ups- you would get offended if I claim to be God. I'd be like, some might, honestly, all the Christians I know would look at you and wonder if you are mentally okay. And if you were in need of help, and that's not to mean as an insult, but like, all right, are you being serious or are you joking? If you're being serious, well, I know how Christ is coming back. It's not this way. Do do you need help? Like, do you, do you can, how can I help? How can I pray for you? And we're just going to look, and if you just keep going, no, we're going to be thinking like, okay, we know for a fact you're not God. Yeah. Because we fully understand what Revelation says about the second coming of Christ. And considering the events that take place before that happens have not taken place yet, um, and who claims to be Christ right now is not him, because we it explicitly declares how he will come again, and when he comes again in comparison to the events that take place beforehand in Revelation. So yeah, yeah. uh. Yeah, that alone, I mean, that passage very much declares uh, his divinity. Let's get to another one. Let's look at another John passage. And then let's look at how do we know that there is still one God in general? Because we're looking at, we're looking at uh, Jesus' divinity. How do we know officially that there is one God, that there's no other gods? And I think what we'll do is we'll turn to Isaiah 43 for that after we handle this John passage. So Isaiah 43 very much declares... Um, the mono, like amongst many of the passages, is one of the biggest ones that declares the monotheistic belief that there is one God. All right, so uh, John ten. If, uh, some translations title this whole thing as um, the uh, "I am the Good Shepherd." Let's start at verse twenty-two. It's a good place for context. Uh, do you want to read this one? Yeah. And this is still in ESV, starting at verse 22. At that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, 
tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hands. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father, for which of them you are going to stone me? Then uh, the Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said you are God's? If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming, because I said, I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Again they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. Yeah, that's John 10. Um, first off, it mentions all to not say you were gods. That whole section, not claiming that they're going to be gods. All right, that's another argument that Mormons make. Um, but the whole idea when you die, you become gods. And some sects of Mormonism, not all sects, but I know a good chunk of them do teach and believe that. Um, that's not what that means. We'll get maybe to another discussion of that some other day. Right now, we're focusing on specifically um, some of the God claims that Jesus makes for himself. So that's not me trying to escape a topic. Or him trying to skip a topic. We're just saying, for the sake of this conversation, so we can stay on track with the one main topic, we're not going to uh, approach that specific part. We'll be looking at the section a little bit before and the section a little bit after, where Jesus makes his claims of being God. Um, Again, just so we can stay on track with one topic at a time and not get off course with a whole bunch of side topics. So, going back to... The first paragraph. So this is 22 through 30, uh, where it ends with, I and the Father are one. All right, so the word for one there literally means one, like united, one. And it's not like saying, like, oh, yeah, like we're in unity of belief in Jesus. Not saying that, oh, yeah, we, we, it's like, no, one. Singular, one being, one everything. They are one. The Father and the Son, because there are three beings, one person. Sorry, three persons, one being. Woo! Almost had a major her- heresy moment there. Um, three persons, one being. Okay? That is important. Um, how do we know that? Well, let's go into some of the Greek. Looking at that. So this is John uh, 1030. Uh, side fact, as I mentioned, that there are numerous like ways to get free access to um, uh, 
Greek and Hebrew. Um, some of the resources I recommend, if you have Android or Apple, you can, or even just a computer, you can use the Logos Bible app, and you can use the Blue Letter Bible app. Um, both, I believe, are good and helpful. If you have an Android, I, my friend Andrew and I, uh, we use this one called the Hebrew, Greek, Interlinear Bible. Uh, it looks like this. It has, I don't know if you can see that that well. Sorry if you can't. Um, basically, it has the English text on top, and then it has below that some of the Greek and Hebrew stuff, and it has the strong concordance numbers, and then if you click on the numbers, you can get all these this information about it, and if you click on the things on top, it tells you about the, the grammar portion of it, like, is a, is personal, like, uh, the word I in John 10, 30, is a personal possessive pronoun, um, it's nominative, it's first person, it is singular. Uh, if we were to look at like the word R, it is a verb. It is present, indica- indicative, active, first person, plural. Um, but let's just look at the word one first. All right. So this one is an active. It is nominative. It is neuter. It is singular. Okay. It's a singular word using to reference to a pl- using with the word R. Okay. So plural and singular. So the plural mean the three persons in the one, the one divine mean the singular, right? And the word one literally is hise, which just means one. And the way it's been used is one, alone, with one, by one, only one. Very clear that it's just a singular thing. So Jesus is saying that the Father and I are one. We are the same. We are we make up God. We are two persons of the Trinity. We make up the one being that you worship. And I think what's really fascinating, if you look at the uh, R, in another way to literally translate this based on the way it functions, I and the Father, we are one. I got that from a book, um, I think it's called The Lost Trinity? I can't remember. I'll post that in the description as well. It's a book that I studied with my friend. It does a lot also with the divinity of Christ. So it's actually a really good book to put in there because it's a really helpful resource. Majority of the chapters discusses the divinity of Christ and then approaches the Father and the Spirit as well. But a lot of it is spent on the divinity of Christ because that is the most attacked thing of the Trinity is Christ's divinity, uh, which I'm really upset now that I, I'm just remembering that book and I didn't think to bring it back from home. Um, but I'll, I'll post that in the description. Highly recommend it is very good resource. And I don't think it's that expensive. Either. I think it's like less than 20 bucks. If it's more, I'm sorry, but I think it's less than 20 bucks. Um, unfortunately, I cannot give you a promo code to get it for cheaper. Um, I'll post an Amazon link. You could also check out World of Books. You could check out Abe Books. You could check out like the Christian Bookstore. There's other resources they might have it for cheaper. I'm just going to put the Amazon link because that's just the most um, simple way to find it. Um, but very good resource. I'll post that. That'll really help with this conversation for you guys if you have not read that before. Anyways, um, so yeah, Jesus very much makes it clear that the Father and Him are one. They are one God. They 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 are not like two separate beings. They are one being. That He is God. Like not just that, but He's also very much claiming that He is God because He's one with God. That means He is God. There's no other way to describe that. Christ claims himself to be God. Well, do you want to explain that another way? I don't really think there is. Like, no, you hit the head on the nail right there. And I mean, and we can also see again that 
um, the Jews are ready to stone him again because he is claiming that him and the father are one, meaning that they are the same being. And that right there is grounds for, in their eyes, grounds for uh, stoning, for blasphemy. And they're getting ready to do that. And Jesus calls them out for it too, saying, I have shown you many good works from the father for which of them are you going to stone me type of thing. So like, why are you stoning me type of thing? Why are you about to? And they're already about to do it just because he claimed this. And that just goes to show how serious Jesus is about this. Because no one is just going to run around claiming it without it being true just to be stoned to death. Because that's grounds right there. Yeah, any other, every other religion claims that Christ is a good man and a wise teacher, a wise person. Can't be those things with these claims. Because yeah. if he's not God then he's a lunatic and a, her- and a heretic, insane, a liar. He should be put to death based on these laws. He, he, he can't be... If, if Christianity isn't true, then no one has gotten Christ right. No one. No, no Jew. No, oh, well, maybe the Jews. No Christian, no Muslim, no Hindu, no atheist. No one got Christ right. So he has to be true or he isn't true. But even then, when are about to stone him, he doesn't back down. Like before he, he sneaks off. This time, he, they go to get ready to stone him and he comes back with a comment. And it, and it leads to this whole thing, this whole the back and forth. And then when we get to, um, even though you do not believe me, Believe the words, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. He basically makes the exact same claim again that the Father and I are one. Because I am all God and all man, the Father is in me. Because I am also all God, I am in him. Because we make up the Trinity. We are two parts of the Trinity. He's basically saying the exact same thing again. He's not trying to like rephrase as which they get away with excuse like no he's very much claiming like you don't believe me look at my works you'll see that he and i are one we are one it's so cool oh it's amazing Uh, and one thing that i really like too is just going back into the first paragraph of this section um where he talks about how his sheep know his voice. That right there. If and that also refers back to the previous passage in John eight that we were talking about. Um how if we are children of God, we will like we will know his works. We will go live by him. Um but if we're slaves to sin, then we're children of the devil. If we are slaves to sin and we are children of the devil, we're not gonna be able to hear his voice. No. But we know what his voice is sounds like we know who god is so when he calls us we will know who it is yeah all right for sake of time because it's not a live stream yeah let's look at how do we know what is one just one passage there's numerous passages we're just gonna take one though that points to the fact that there is one god there's no before him there's none after him so to isaiah 43 it's a beautiful Beautiful passage. Um, and it is translated as Israel's only savior. Um, so again, this is him speaking to Israel. 
Lord speaking to Israel, but it's for our knowledge to know who God is. So it's to them, but for us to know. And we know that it's true for us too, that he is the only Savior, because that's why Christ came. He makes that very clear. So does Paul, and so does Peter, and John, all the apostles. Um, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read 43. It's a wee bit long. So, um, forgive me. Um, maybe we'll cut it down a little bit. Because I'm also getting thirsty. I forgot to get water. So, is um, Isaiah 43. But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel. What's funny and interesting is um, Jacob was renamed to Israel in Genesis. So, he's almost saying, He who created you, Jacob, right? This is beautiful. He who created you, Jacob. Um, so when you were born, I made you. You were physically created. And he who formed you, O Israel. Now, of course, this is the nation. He's saying, I formed you, Israel, into the people that you are. But also, when, um, if you don't know the story, Jacob, as before he was about to reapproach Esau. So, Jacob, um, his name is translated to like supplanter and like, gra- like heel grasper. Like that. And which he did that as he was coming out of the womb, he was holding on to Esau's ankle. And um, Jacob, Esau was the one who went on hunted. Jacob was the one who stayed in and did like a more of like, kind of like the academic. Jacob was very like smart. Esau was very like um, smart about like how to like handle food and like hunting. Um, and Jacob knew a lot more of some of the other things like caretaking and like shepherding and stuff like that. As we see him do with Laban. Um, but he then tricks Jacob, uh, tricks Esau so he can get his blessing. And then he tricks uh, Isaac, his father, Jacob, uh, sorry, Esau, with the help of his mother, Rebecca, so that he can get the, the blessing. So he got the birthright and the blessing. They have said blessing twice before. So he tricked Esau to get the birthright. They tricked his father to get the blessing. He then is sent out by his mother and father to Laban to stay away from Esau's wrath and anger. Um, not not like good wrath, like he wants to murder him and um, to find a wife that was not of the people in that area that were like um, pagans. So he goes out, he uh, searched for Laban for like 14 plus years, he gets married to his two daughters, the first one by trickery, the second one by his actual desires. Um, he then gets two more kind of wives as they get children that are more like uh, concubines. Um, but through Leah, we have, um, Judah was really important because that's the line to which leads to David, which leads to, um, Jesus. And that is his lineage line. And then, um, uh, Rachel, the wife that he really wanted, uh, has Benjamin and Joseph and Joseph is the one who, uh, we all know the story of hopefully where he basically saves Judah by going, by being sent to Egypt out of, um, original imprisonment. And that becomes like one of the rules of Egypt and basically helps save the world from this famine uh, that was to come. But before then, um, as he's about to go back to see Esau, who he, at this point, his mother said, I'm going to call for you when he's cooled off. She never did. And, um, but God still says, I'm sending you back. He gets ready to go back and he sends off his family and his people across this river and he's like not wanting to go. So he wrestles with the angel of the Lord. Um, the angel Lord beats him and he grasps onto him one more time. And that's, and he, and that's when God, because it says the Lord said, 
I'm changing your name to Israel. So right there, he formed him. It's like, you are no longer Jacob, you are now Israel. And of course, you see instances where it still talks about Jacob and Israel as the same person. That's still technically his name. Um, but he formed him into this new person. So this idea of like God's changing his identity, also the nation. Anyways, this is a side comment. This is beautiful. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you will not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, O your Savior. I give Egypt as your, as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes, and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring you offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold, bring my sons from afar, and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Bring out the people who are blind, yet have eyes who are deaf, yet have ears. All the nations are gathered together, all the nations gather together, and the people assemble, who among them can declare this, and show us the former things. Let them bring their witnesses to prove them right, and let them hear and say, it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servants whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me, understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you, and you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. We're going to stop there. My mouth is all skin dry. There's a whole second half to that. So he has this whole beautiful picture understanding who God is and he's a savior. It says right there at 10, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord. So the people of Israel and my servants whom I have chosen, you may know and believe me and understand that I am he, the savior. Before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. Saying that I have always been existent. There is no other God. I am the one at the beginning of time, and I will be there at the beginning of like our time, because he's outside of time. Remember, we talked about the Kalam cosmological argument very briefly, that he is outside of time. He was there at our beginning, and he will be there at our end. There will be no one before him or after him. So if Jesus comes down, if he's also declared as the Savior, but he, if, if God is not bending, if there's no other God before him or after him, that means Jesus is not this new God He's not, he's not just a random person, and he's not like um, a second God. There is one God, because if God came first, and then if Jesus was like a second God, well, that would contradict this. Very much so. So very much we see that they, there is one God, and there only ever will be one God. Now, it's just a very beautiful passage. Amazing. Any other thoughts on that? No, like, you're, what you just said exactly was that, what, yeah, words. That was exactly what I was thinking, um, because right here, if Je- like Jesus is claiming to be God, not in not in this verse specifically, but Jesus like claimed to be God, and Jesus obviously came in the New Testament where we see like God in the Old Testament type of thing. So Jesus wasn't able to just appear out of nowhere. Yeah, he had to have existed, and he would have to be the same being as God. For there to be no other gods before or after. So right there, just like this proves the whole like Jesus being different from God 
because if Jesus was different from God, he wouldn't exist. Yeah. It's just planted as that. Even though this is just one example. Yeah. There's numerous examples. It's all across scripture. Um, but yeah, I think hopefully they answer some questions about Christ's divinity. And if not, we would love to address them some more later on. Um, this is, is a fairly long first episode. Uh, but then again, the word of God. So, oh, well, <laughs> um, any other just thoughts in general, like not just about this, just in general about, um, call to defend or oh, anything random. Um, watch out for just little posts that we'll be making. Uh, we'll be starting to do like short little devotionals that you can watch us that we'll be posting on Facebook and Instagram and just our social media platforms. Um, definitely check out our social media platforms as of right now. So you can just learn a little bit more about us and who we are and kind of what goes on behind the scenes type of thing. Um, yeah. yeah, Like you said, uh, we'll be recording some devotionals, recording some, uh, we're doing some quick answers thing, uh, short response things. We'll be doing some mini, uh, solo episodes. They might be shorter. They might not. Thanks. Depends on the topic uh, that we choose to tackle. Um, we would love, we're working on trying to get a live stream started on with this. I think that'd be a little more fun for us. Uh, it'd probably it'd be easier for us too, because then we could just stream everything and we'll go straight to YouTube and then we could rip the audio off and put it on the Spotify and every other place we can um, post our audio. So be on the lookout for those things. Uh, we'll be updating you more about that. And, uh, yeah, um, we'll also be looking to try hopefully get some guests on here. We just need to get a interface that can handle three microphones. I have one. It didn't work last time, but we're also on a budget, so I can't afford a new one. And by a budget, I mean if I spend any of my money on a new thing like that, I will not be able to pay for gas. Not that that matters to you guys, nor is that important. Just a fun little fact. Um, if, if you check our Instagram story... If you saw our Instagram story at like 8.50 p.m. on March 18th, you'll see me talking and me showing our little setup, which is not a bad setup. It's not like a high-end setup, but we're keeping it real. Because yeah, we'll hopefully, hopefully get into some live streams up so going. So I, and then we also can maybe get some comments from you guys and we can address those things. We could maybe do a uh, question, uh, Q&R question response um do the best we can if we can't answer something then we'll promise that we'll say we don't know and we'll come back with a response and do like a full video on it uh maybe we'll post on our instagram some like hey some some questions some topics you want us to address and then we can hopefully divvy those up a little bit and that'll be helpful but yeah we'll post uh check in the description for all the resources we have we're recommending for you guys of course there's many other resources but they're recommending the ones that we uh, pull from a lot to help you out there while we close out in prayer and then send off all right Heavenly father we thank you for uh this podcast we thank you for this group we thank you for um um your word your your, your saving your your love your justice thank you that you save us and you're perfect and good we thank you that jesus is lord that he is uh, the savior that he is the christ that he is god that he is you you, God, saved us all. We uh, pray that we spoke uh, well of your word, 
uh, that anything that was spoken incorrectly that you um, show us and then we make a revised video where we correct ourselves um, so the public knows uh, the truth. Help us never wave away from the truth um, as a listener and as a speaker. And help us to grow as a community to uh, always look at the Bible and think biblically and critically so that we can uh, defend the faith and uh, give an account of the truth that is spoken and written. So Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay. All right. See you guys in the next video slash episode. We love you guys. Deuces. Peace.